Hi, Nikki J here, and you're listening to Wild Hearts Club. Thanks for listening. I created this podcast to encourage vulnerability, conscious conversation and aligned action. I really believe that these three ingredients are key to living a fulfilling and meaningful life. On today's episode, I interview Mike Campbell. Mike is an Australian-based men's coach, author, and founder of the School of Personal Mastery, which is a coaching program for men. He's a huge proponent of changing the narrative around masculinity and how we relate to it and to use his words what it means to be a mature strong capable compassionate kind and effective man I think today's uh, episode is super timely because many of us are finding ourselves in quarantine and many of us find ourselves sharing that space with partners spouses even housemates and with that shift in routine and and normality, um, we might find ourselves having a real shift around how we're communicating with one another. And Mike has some incredible insights around the communication differences between the masculine and feminine and how we can bridge those gaps and really come together and connect more meaningfully through, you know, a really conscious use of conversation. Um, we also talk about one of the key areas, which is a huge reason for disconnect in relationships. So you'll definitely want to hear about that. Um, Mike has some incredible tips for resolving conflict. And he also shares with us some of the most common hiccups that he sees with his clients. So I'm sure there's a great deal of wisdom in there that while this is Actually, this is very much for men and women. So everyone, please listen in. I think there is huge understanding uh, to be gained about the opposite sex in this interview. So without further ado, I will share my conversation with Mike Campbell. Before we dive into all of the juicy questions... Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hmm, where to start? Yeah, so my name is Mike Campbell and I'm the men's coach. Um, and so I suppose I can get into a bit of what I do, um, but, but I'll actually just go first of all to like how I introduce myself. So yeah, I'm a dude who's just incredibly curious about the world and myself and other humans. And um, I, I am massively driven by awe and wonder and figuring things out um and it's something that i love for myself but also to share with those around me so you know the the relationships and connections i have are are very powerful and important to me and that's kind of um you know led me around the world growing up in new zealand um spending a lot of time abroad in scotland england the uk and now in ireland sorry and now living in australia for the last 10 or so years and and you know a lot of adventure and a lot of amazing relationships that's i suppose the briefest of introductions to me the human i'd love to learn a little bit about who little mike was and what that journey looked like transitioning into current day mike um and how 
all of this together has perhaps pointed you in in the direction that you find yourself heading in now? So I grew up in uh, South Island, New Zealand, as a pretty safe kind of conservative um, kid. My parents were, you know, like I had a great upbringing and, and all the kind of stuff, but it was very much um, based on love and support, which was phenomenal. But, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at all um, and not a lot of opportunity in that kind of sense. And so I had all this love and support, but having now looked back, I realized that my parents are very conservative and very safe. And I took that on board, you know, I became that kind of mini version. And when I turned seven, the day after I turned seven, we moved um, to a new town. And that for me, as it turns out, is a pretty safe um security, stability, conscious kid, was huge. I remember um, being seven, so I'd been at school for two years, and my mum taking me to this new school, and I was terrified, absolutely terrified by this experience of going into a new classroom and being the centre of attention, and there was this kind of grumpy teacher, um, and like instantly running back to the car in tears, you know, to my mum, and like clinging to her leg and, and this kind of stuff, and um, for me, that turned out to be quite a significant moment. And um, the thing is, then it happened again. The next year, we moved to another town. It happened a bunch of times. I ended up going about eight primary schools. And, you know, that kind of thing happens to a lot of kids. But for me, kind of each time, it played out this uh, horrific incident of upheaval, of lack of stability, and, um, you know, generally an unpleasant experience. And so... Um, again, now that I have uh, hindsight and intelligence and awareness, um, you know, what I've really learned from that was this kind of safe little kid became very averse to change and, and new things. And I essentially just became even more stability and certainty conscious. And what it really led to me doing was like really withdrawing into myself a lot and just choosing to figure out the world at a distance by and large part and observe it and take things in. Um, and not necessarily be such an active participant, um, unless it was something that I was really good at. And one of those things was sport. I was that kid. I grew up in New Zealand. I played rugby, and I kind of played all the things. And I was that kid who kind of could do all the things that I put my hand to. And so that was also a safe place for me, and that was where I could express myself, you know. And so it kind of allowed me to express myself there. So then I almost didn't really have to anywhere else. You know, I was quite uh, intelligent and curious, but I didn't really, I didn't want to be wrong and be the center of attention and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of developed patterns as a kid to be um, pretty stubborn and pretty um, safe um, and I allowed you know my sporting ability to kind of speak for me in large part and that was you know me I went to university I was just that kid who was always going to go to university but I had no idea what I wanted to do I just kind of think I thought in the back of my head that I would be a professional rugby player um, but then I went to university at just after I turned 18 and I had the world at my feet and all these friends and all this freedom and this possibility. And I was like, Oh wow, this is fun. I can um, party and get pissed every night basically. And so um, I, I it was like a double edged sword of like coming out of my shell a bit, but also not really accessing the potential that was there for me, certainly in my sporting ability. And so uh, university was a pretty interesting time for me where I, um, Definitely started to learn a bit myself, but but more so I felt the the community of 
fitting in with my peers overwhelming, you know? And so a lot of what I did was based on what my friends were doing, which is not abnormal. Um, but it allowed me to kind of keep, keep in a, in a safe distance from really putting myself out there. And, um, that happened a lot, but I stumbled into, um, not quite literally, but, um, a, a physical education, um, class and in that instantly I was like, oh wow, human body is fascinating. And so I decided once I was already at university that I was going to do a physical education degree. And, and understand as much as I could about the human body. And then I left university and I realized, oh, I work with people, real humans. And so the body is one thing, but figuring out the behavior is a whole nother thing. And so I eventually became incredibly curious at how do I help these people change their behaviors. And so I kind of traveled and played rugby and, and worked and, and did all this kind of stuff, but ultimately it led me down the path of trying to figure out what was going on with the human in front of me. They were mostly men. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of details in, in that story that, that could be added in. But ultimately, I moved back to Australia at the end of 2009. Um, I had an engagement breakup and I had heartbreak and a lot of stuff go on. But what it ultimately led to was a lot of introspection and figuring out who the hell am I, what, what just happened in that breakup, what's my part in that, and, and wanting to understand more about myself, mm-hmm. which led me to, what am I doing? What am I good at? What do I, what do I care about? And that's when I really noticed I'm working with men who are confronted with the same stuff, the same problems, and ultimately lost and stuck and not really sure who they are or what they need to be. And because I've spent 10 years kind of buried in trying to figure out how I help the people in front of me, I realized, oh, this is what I do and what I'm really good at and what I care about. And so that is kind of the, it might be a long story, but that's kind of the short story of how I got to working specifically with men and helping them kind of figure themselves out, get the shit together and start getting what they want from life. Just to pick up on a couple of things um, you've said just now, what role do you see you know, heartbreak to use your example or other kinds of suffering um, playing and helping us uh, or using it rather as a catalyst to drive internal change? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it can play a huge part or not. Uh, And I think that depends on how willing you are to, to look at where the lessons are coming from. So for me, it was monumental. Um, I it was a super interesting and, and incredibly challenging time. I had the carpet pulled out from under me, so to speak, um, in terms of the relationship. And at the same time, um, so I was in Sydney at the time. At the same time, my mum was very, very ill with lung cancer back in New Zealand. And so for those who don't know, it's like a three-hour flight. And so I was going back and forth a lot. Um, in the midst of like understanding the heartbreak and the breakup and like what went on there and what is the stuff I'm feeling and and all of that. But so like it was a challenge to both heal and understand and also like show up and be present and support my family and my mom and all that kind of stuff. So it was a a super challenging time, which again, ultimately led me to, and not, not everyone I suppose would take this um, path, but I want to make sense of this stuff. Yeah, so the heartbreak being one of the big drivers of one wanting to understand what went on there, but ultimately 
I don't want to feel this again. This is shit house, right? So the big driver there was how can I um, how can I heal, but also realistically, how can I prevent this from happening again? And so you know, then that led me down, and uh, it wasn't all um, amazing awareness and and introspection. You know, a lot of time it was to start with a lot of stories. Well, uh, I don't need a relationship then, and you know, I'm just cool being single and all that kind of stuff. So it, you know, it it was the driver of a lot of things. Not all of them were effective. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've often wondered and I'd love your input on this but do you think people can engage in a healthy partnership if one or both have never had their heart broken mm. um yeah interesting I, I think yes uh, I would say um but it ultimately only in my own experience right mm. and I have had that uh, I think you can but um because at the same time, you know, heartbreak might not necessarily be in the form of a romantic relationship. You know, as a kid, we might have had a heartbroken in the sense that, um, you know, we didn't receive the love that we needed. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, that's most definitely going to impact on how we show up in a relationship. Um, but it also doesn't qualify us to have a great relationship because that's happened. You know, so that, that there's things that we go through and then there's this meaning that we give them and then there's how we choose to utilize those things. And yeah. so heartbreak can be a, um, to sound super clinical about it, can be a tool for us to use. Um, but I, I don't think that it's necessary. I, I, I like to think, because I can't know, but I like to think that people can uh, go into a relationship wholehearted and, um, yeah, come what may, I suppose. They can learn lessons, but you only know what your capacity to love is based on your experiences. Mm. So, you know, you, that doesn't mean people are necessarily going wholehearted into love if they haven't had heartbreak. I just think it's one of those things that's probably a little bit more dependent on the person, you know. Yeah. But, but I would like to think that you can, yes. Based off what you've just said in your experience, you talk about wanting to make sure that you didn't experience the pain of heartbreak again. And so what stories were you telling yourself when you were avoiding um, perhaps dealing with the heartbreak or using it as that catalyst to, yeah. um, to shift into something that you, you deep down desired? Yeah, so I think the first one really speaks to the immediate aftermath, um, let's call it. And Well, no, okay, it's probably the two parts of the, the immediate aftermath. The very first you know, inside the first kind of week or two where um, it was more confusion because I was kind of blindsided, right? So it was more confusion and just a, a deep desire to like understand why this happened. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the predominant story there was I need to know. Um, and that then became and like, look, I got some answers and, and maybe not others, certainly not ones that made sense then and have made more sense now. Then those stories became, you know, basically about protecting myself and protecting my heart. So it was, you know, I was, how old was I, 28, 29, I think. So it was kind of, um, oh, well, that's not for me. I don't need a relationship. I'm good being single. You know, stories that 
sounded nice, but really it was just so I didn't have to put myself out there. And I also think that there's nothing, there's not necessarily something wrong with that. You know, if I, if I had a story of like, oh, definitely relationship, you know, I might have tried to get into one way too early. And so in part, that was me kidding myself and trying to stay safe. Uh, but at the same time, it also kept me from getting into another one, which I don't think would have been a good idea in that first six months, you know. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. And then on the other side of it, as I kind of come out of that, I realized, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe I do want a relationship. Maybe I do want to um, be in love and give love and have companionship. And okay, right. So again, those are little stories that I keep still, still, you know, telling myself. And the thing about the story is it creates the behaviors. So out the other side of that was, yeah, okay, how do I really learn about what went on there? And um, and it wasn't pleasant. So how do I prevent that? or at least go a ways towards preventing that kind of thing happening again. And ultimately what that means is that relationship breakdown. How, how do I prevent a, a relationship breaking down like that? And me being blindsided, because that feels like I was missing something. So, you know, it led me into the, the path of um, a lot of introspection and a lot of personal development. Um, so I could grow and learn from the things that I've been through. I feel like these experiences, it sounds as though it's really informed the work that you're doing now, um, which is, of course, so important. And I'd love for you to explain why what you do is so important. Yeah, so like, because I, I do get a lot of questions, you know, I call myself a man coach, right? And so that often comes, so what do you do? <laughs> and I do many things, right? But the way I break it down quite simply is I help men make their shit make sense. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of well maybe it's a bit divided you know there is a lot of focus on on men in some capacity around men's mental health and, and suicide you know the rates of suicide generally in men are about 75 percent of all suicide statistics in most of the western world and um, so stuff like that is outrageous and, and it needs to and it gets to change yeah. um but i don't tend to or nor have too much desire to to work in that kind of crisis point stage i think we can't be reactive and as mean we are so reactive this part of the problem we get to be far more proactive and so i want to actually create a world where we don't need charities and organizations that deal with men's suicide because we've negated that and we actually have men who are emotionally literate um and so fundamentally for me that's kind of the work that i do so i think why is it important because one there is things like suicide statistics and so on that are just outrageous yes um you know you're obviously originally from australia so i'll give you the stats here you know every day in australia eight people take their own lives and six of those are men and for me that's six too many you know eight too many so um so again my focus isn't on that per se but like how do we create men who can navigate the challenges of life more effectively can communicate effectively can understand themselves um, well, (laughs) can face whatever life throws at them with grace and courage and uh, mastery. So um, there's that side to the individual, but of course that's just one extreme um, point. Then you get, okay, so what are the other costs of men who don't who abandon themselves who don't know who they are who 
who who are out of integrity, who can't communicate, who can't understand or process their emotions. And you know, there's lots of costs and consequences, but I think to to boil it down broadly, it is damage outward into the community or the people around them, or damage inward to the individual. And there's a lot of it. There's so much of it. And so I think if we can work on the individual, um, he can make a huge difference in his life and in his community. And, and you know, that is the kind of thing that can um, create different societies, different families, different communities, as well as, of course, you know, the individual himself. There's, of course, um, I mean, we, we're all susceptible to conditioning throughout our lives. What, in your experience, are some of the key reasons you're finding men to lose themselves in terms of, you know, losing out on that integrity with themselves or being unable to um, connect with that emotional side that we all have as humans? Yeah, so, well, I think that's where it starts, right, in in terms of the conditioning and and messages we receive. And, you know, I'm going to throw some broad blankets because not everyone, uh, you know, hears the same thing or responds in the same way, but... um, I think by and large, as boys and, and therefore as men, you know, we receive messages around who we should be, right? Simple things when we were young boys, like harden up, be a man, don't be a girl, don't be a pussy. All, all those kind of things start to form the dialogue that certain parts of me and who I am aren't, quote unquote, a man. So, um, and I have to be shamed and judged. So I kind of need to, to, to maybe hide those things a little bit, right? And then I think what that really extends to is, and, and, and this is where I think there's, there's a lot of challenge for the individual, and personally I think this is where a lot of work is, is that as men we essentially get the idea and the messaging that our success as a man is based on our ability to provide, protect, and procreate. And how we learn to do those things is almost exclusively external to us. You know, so my ability to provide is about my job and how much money I can bring in kind of thing. My ability to procreate is very much... Um, about you know my body and how my looks and and my sexual prowess and my cock and what I can do with it right and you know my ability to be women or anyone and then my ability to protect is around like how strong I am and actually how much I can protect people and being the hero uh, you know and being everything to everyone and all of that really is is about how other people are going to view me and either validate me or judge me and so we show up in the world as that with our template, with our parameter for how I need to be. And it's such a losing battle. It's never going to take us anywhere effective. But without those things, I am less of a man or some version of that dialogue that might be very unconscious but running beneath the surface in there. You know, or completely counter to it. Like, fuck that. I need to be something totally different, but it's still being determined by that because it's a re- in rebellion to it. And I, and I think part of the big challenge with that is, you know, when we look at the animal, because we are still animals, um, that is fundamentally at the base of evolution for me and for the hunter, provide, protect, and procreate. So those things are deep drivers, deep needs within us, but we have learned such messed up ways of doing them that generally it's not that effective to, to the individual or those people that come into contact with them. You know, so many men in relationships, and especially through their kind of late 20s into their 30s, early 40s, 
are just about building their life and it's all just about providing. I just need to earn and earn and earn and earn and we forget that providing is many, many different things. Um, so, you know, for me, that's at the base of it and, and how that then results is just so many things. And, and I would also say that is why we have things like such high suicide statistics uh, in men because we learn that any kind of emotive communicative side is is weak, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it just kind of, it, it, it has roots that go so far and deep. Mm. And I also think, I mean, you know, instances of domestic violence and um, that kind of thing, I think it's a manifestation of an inability to process those human emotions and and perhaps trying to adhere to this template in what seems like an absurd and impossible way and invariably you're going to burst and it will come out sideways if if you're unable to regulate regulate yourself appropriately exactly and i think you know when, when you then also tack on um potentially um other detrimental messages and conditioning you know you might form beliefs that you know a man gets to dominate his relationship or you know whatever right you add other things in there that add on to an ability to process you know human emotions uh and so on then you know you just kind of compound it but that's where i think you know there's often um you know men are allowed to feel a couple of emotions happiness and sadness and maybe anger but then of course anger is very shamed and so um most things that are unprocessed come out as, as anger in some form. Mm. But I, I think the simple way of looking at it is th- there is violence in some capacity, um, being mental, emotional, physical, to self or other, right? It's got to go somewhere. And this is where, like, men are so logical and rational that, you know, I like coming up with analogies that really land for them. And this one for me is um, so simple and so rational, it's painful. It's physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction Mm -hmm. and so if we're not having if we're not dealing with the things that are coming in our world there's there's going to be some reaction there's going to be some you know the energy must flow in one direction at some point and and that's what we see internally or externally so much Mm. how do you go about how do you penetrate that in in the work you're doing where do you start by by challenging it you know, I, I find that what, um, and, and of course this will evolve and change, but at the moment I, I feel like there is the need to penetrate the narrative, right? To challenge where men are at with love. You know, I've, 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 I will challenge men, but it always comes from a place of love and respect. But, but I think that's, that's kind of where it starts. So, hey, this is, the, this is what we've had as a model over here. It's not working for these reasons and these consequences. See this, you know, you make sense of it. Um, and so once we can kind of bring to light that the current mode and model isn't necessarily serving us so well, but also not to throw the baby out the bathwater, like a lot of what's in there is really powerful and really important, but perhaps become misconstrued or, or, or manifesting in an effective way. Um, because, you know, the counter to that could be men need to be completely open and emotive and and, and, and soft and what and you know well, we actually need strength and we need dependability and so on right so we can't just um, use blanket statements but we get to challenge it and once we make sense of it it becomes easier for me to go ah oh, oh, okay and oh, all right something different is you know maybe out there and, and could work for me then we get to present new options new ways of being 
So, but, but I think for a lot of men, we need to be able to get it intellectually before we can kind of take that next step, um, which is kind of the experience and the embodiment of things. But yeah, it's, it's making sense of, hey, this isn't necessarily working. Oh, okay, I can get that. So then you can present something new. You said something interesting before, which was talking about this this almost primal need for men to provide, for example, and how that might look like someone working and working and working and working to make money, 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 money. Uh, and you mentioned that providing can look like something different. And I, this is a two-sided question, but firstly, how important is that role of providing to a man? And, and what can that look like in a healthy kind of contemporary um, relationship situation? Yeah. So, I mean, the easy, simple question answer to the first question is, it's monumentally important. I would say it is one of the biggest drivers. And I also see this as one of the biggest disconnects in a lot of relationships. And like any makeup of human, but, it's, you know, for the most part, I'm working with straight men. It's, 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 it's certainly the more common example. But, you know, the masculine and feminine isn't anyone. So regardless of who the, the human is, the masculine wants to provide. And the feminine also needs to be provided for because if you're going to be the nurturer, the caregiver, the giver of life, then there's an element of dependency in that sense. But men, the masculine needs to provide. It's so ingrained that we do it. And this is where I see so much disconnect in relationships is that, you know, for example, he might pour himself into his career and it might look that he's just focused on money. And, and some of it is because he might not have connected to like how much money he needs for security for his family and so on. Um, and so the chase is, is for more, and that also might need might mean more external validation and respect and so on. But the intent, for the most part, is to provide for his family, to look after them, to make sure that they are safe and free of worry and that they can live freely. Mm. But the intent is often not um, communicated very well, and so you know a, a couple might miss each other. On you know you you place work at, at the most important thing more than your family, and it's like. No, the reason I'm doing that is because I place so much importance on my family, right? But that is a really simple way of what it looks like. Um, but it's just, it's so important because the animal is driving a lot of that. And so I think the important point off that is you get to provide, and a lot of that will be resources, security and safety, you know, money, food on the table, a shelter, etc. But providing also looks like many, many different things. And I think what a, a guy needs to do individually is explore that. How else can I provide in my life and certainly in the context of a relationship and then um, in a relationship to also have that conversation and um, for any woman listening, how do I like to be provided for? Mm. And, you know, I think my experience has shown me that a lot of women struggle to allow themselves to be provided for because that's one of the things a lot of women have learned is that you shouldn't need a man. You shouldn't need someone to look after you. It's like, oh, I think that's so detrimental. We all have needs. Um, and the animal is at play in a lot of that. You know, my wife is by nature um, very easy in her masculine and she's pregnant now. We're expecting a baby in a, a few months. Um, she is entirely dependent on me to provide for her. And that is a role that is, I've never had a more important role in my life and I can't wait to do that, right? It's a, it's a privilege to do that. But if she shut that off and said, I can't be provided for, then what happens, 
right? So I think that's a, a muddle that we get into. But providing isn't just making sure that we have enough money and resources to be safe and secure. It can be so many things. One, attention, time, like connection. I provide safety as a broad thing, which money often um, comes under the umbrella of. So then how do I provide safety? Well, in my relationship, uh, I might have my ideas, but the clearest ideas I'm going to get from that is to actually ask my wife what you need or to see from me or what do you like and um, what works in order to feel safe and how can I provide that and get the answers. Um, but it's also love, it's connection, it's playfulness, it's the ability to, to, to relax. You know, I can provide all of those things um, for myself but also in my relationship. So I think it requires investigation for us as individuals and men in our relationships, sure, you know, what that looks like, what we like it to look like. Um, because I certainly know in relationships, providing safety is, is paramount. Mm. Money comes under it. So explore what is safety and how can I provide it and how does you know my partner like it to be provided for them. I feel like this is a great segue into communication. It's obviously essential uh, to healthy partnership and just healthy relationships with people in general. I'm curious though, in your experience, how does communication differ between the masculine and feminine? Yeah, so I think first of all, for those, I don't know, maybe who might not be across it, right? Can be challenging to confuse men, women, masculine, feminine, and, and um, sometimes women are far more in their masculine, some et cetera, et cetera, we can flip it around. But I think from a, a, a biological and, and evolutionary standpoint, the way I look at it is most men are more predominant masculine by nature. Mm-hmm. But we also very much have the feminine and we need to be able to understand those two things together. And so how I see that playing out is where we risk just saying men equals masculine, woman equals feminine. Um, but I do see a lot of the, the you know masculine side of things play out for men in communication and women with the feminine. But of course, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of interchangeable there. So I just want to be clear on that to start with. Uh, but then when it comes to communication, yeah, like I just see some, some really, really clear differences between you know the masculine and feminine and therefore a lot of the time between men and women. And one of those things um, that I see a lot really commonly, and I've lived this myself a lot, is... The feminines need, and, and so for ease of reference, I'll just stick, I'll try and stick with those terminologies. Um, the feminines need to empty and like communicate, right? To share experience and and communicate, and often that looks like emptying. So you know, there's something going on, something shit happened today at work, and it's like I just want to vent and get this thing out. Whereas what the masculine is doing is is listening to the point, because <laughs> the masculine is is, is problem solve mode. Right, and so you know, and, and this has happened so many times for me. The men that I work with, and myself as well, is like I'm listening for the point. What's the problem? Great, I can work on that. Let's solve that because it's masculine. Masculine mode is, is to, to fix and solve things. So it's detail oriented, right? I need to achieve a result. The masculine is about achieving result. Where's the detail? Way I go, and and that's you know, being in the rational, logical side of things. So that creates many different examples, but it's that common example of sharing something, wanting to simply empty, and that might not even be that conscious for her, for the feminine, but he'll come in with a solution, 
And then it might be followed with something like, I don't need you to solve or fix anything. I just need you to listen. And until we can have that kind of conversation around, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'd like you to do or what have you, that's going to result in those clear differences. But there's a, what do you mean? There's a, there's a solution here. Now, again, as I said with providing before, I think it's really important, certainly for women, and of course there's examples that, that go the other way around, but in this situation, to understand his intent. His intent, and this is part of provide and protect, is to take away any pain or discomfort that you may be experiencing. Mm. And so in that situation, if my wife has you know, said something and I'm, let's just say, I'm clueless and I'm not paying attention and I'm in masculine problem-solving mode, and she presents what sounds to me like a simple problem to solve, my intention is to take her pain away. I want to make sure she's not experiencing that. That's my default mode. Now, of course, it might not work out that way because it might be like, oh, I wish you would just listen, right? And, and so all of a sudden, you know, maybe conflict ensues. So that doesn't mean that she just needs to take responsibility for that and say, oh, no, it's okay. Intent is to make. No, not at all. But if you can understand that that is generally the intention, often we can come together in communication, I think, a lot more effectively. So, so that, for me, is one really, really obvious um, way. And then if we go, we go more broadly, right, the, the feminine is far more about the experience, creativity, emotion, feeling, and the masculine is far more about ration, logic, um, reason, detail, focus, right? narrow focus. And so those things play out in many, many different ways in communication. And often one of the ways between men and women is, um, you know, women might say, how do you feel? Whereas a man might say, what do you think? And, and it's just speaking to those modes, right? And so if I am speaking to my partner and I want to get, you know, an answer, then I would be wise to say, how do you feel about that? Versus what do you think? And vice versa for her. If we, we want to facilitate it and instead of expecting the other person to bend to my mode, right? Um, and then the other side of it might be there's an emotional experience being shared. And the thing about emotions is they're not necessarily logical because it's a different mode. And so a lot of guys will get stuck in trying to reason with something that is unreasonable, which might be the sharing of an experience. Mm -hmm. And that can often look like, you know, she might be sharing something and this happened and this happened and, and this happened and you did this. And he thinks, well, no, that's wrong. I didn't do that. And so what she's sharing is her experience, but he doesn't want to be wrong because the masculine commitment and, and being right is very important because when we come back to the hunter, making decisions become life or death in, in that kind of context. So mm. for me, the need to be right, as well as committing to things and making decisions, often men are really poor at it because making decisions and committing at, at an evolutionary level is very important, right? So... All of a sudden, you have sharing of experience. Oh, that's wrong. So I want to correct you so I'm not wrong. And then she feels like my experience isn't being validated. And he's like, no, but I'm being seen as wrong. right? And so all of a sudden, you can get two people who are not hearing each other mm. and just wanting to be heard. And it just never gets anywhere. right? So again, that doesn't mean one person needs to bend to the other. I just think that we can really support each other and communicate more effectively with compassion and empathy uh, when we understand what's going on with the other person and we can meet in the middle of it. The first thing I want to ask with relation to that, when we hit that point of um, 
a man wanting to be right or make a decision because of that hunter instinct and a woman just desiring to be heard and express her emotions because they're they're moving and flowing um and we hit that point of conflict how do we resolve that in in a healthy way as opposed to so many so many of us are afraid of conflict we're afraid of resolving something how do we do this consciously and effectively well, I think the first thing I'll stipulate actually is, you know, because we spoke about, you know, that's the mode and there's kind of the animal thing there. And so I'd say those things not as something that we can use as an excuse, you know, like, oh, it's just the hunter and me. Like, no, the point of <laughs> getting into that stuff is so we're aware of it, right? The idea is to make more conscious decisions as a human and not let the animal run the show. Uh, so we've got to be careful on that because, yeah, otherwise it can be easier to say, oh, well, I'm just a man and I do this, right? And it's like, no, that's not at all what we're talking about. Um, and then the next step to, to really dive into the question, I think, is maybe there's two parts to it because um, there's conflict, and, and I'm going to use that as a broad term, right, because we have conflict, I think. It's been painted in a, in a very bad light and... Um, you know, people tend to avoid conflict like it's the play because they're making conflict mean something. And conflict can be quite simply like a disagreement and an invitation to bring clarity and connect, mm-hmm. right? So um, when we're in conflict, generally, especially in relationships, what will tend to happen, depending on the amount of work we've done, is we might go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And when we go into freeze mode, i.e. we perceive some kind of threat to us, to our safety, to our you know autonomy, to whatever, we instantly lose access to resources, which essentially equates to you can't think that well. You can't, you can't navigate the conflict as effectively as you need to. So there's when we're in it, and then there's when we're not in it. So my first port of call here is, have to communicate about how you communicate when you're not in conflict so establish the rules for engagement establish the guidelines for how you guys communicate for how you will you know navigate conflict when it comes around or hey that last time we got into that kind of conversation where you wanted to share something and then i tried to fix it and that didn't go well and you da 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 how do i approach that next time right so when you're not in it you actually talk about it mm. and you, you establish how we approach these things. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is where we can come to the intention and, and having compassion for the other person and all that kind of stuff, right? So I think that that has consistently got to be at play. And it's not something you do once and then it's like, cool, that, that'll do our relationship for the next 40 years, right? It's something that you've got to consistently be in so that then hopefully when we're in conflict, you know, we have tools, we have better access to resources and we have agreements so that we can navigate that more effectively. Um, then, you know, when we perhaps either haven't done that or when we're in conflict and it's like all of a sudden, you know, my ability to think straight has gone out the window. Um, if you, uh, for me, and this might not work as well for everyone, but it tends to happen for the more logical masculine out there, mm-hmm. is I think about my capacity, right, like a vessel. I've only got so much. And when I get into conflict, it gets filled very quickly. So what I need to do is I need to create space. You create space so that in that space becomes more effective communication, et cetera, et cetera. 
So it's like, okay, well, maybe I just need to go, hey, can I take five minutes uh, so I can just get clear in my thoughts and, and, and what's going on, whatever, whatever, and then come back to it. Or it might be as simple as I'm just going to take five breaths just to bring some calm. And, you know, we know there's different stuff going on there in terms of our nervous system and so on, but basically being able to create space so I can show up more effectively in that moment. That's really interesting. I also feel like there is an underlying notion in society that uh, there's this perfect relationship myth or even the notion of soulmates. And I'd love your input on what that means. Is this something to debunk? Is it something that we work towards? What, what does that mean and how do we kind of overcome that in order to establish healthy you know, potentially long-lasting partnership with people if that's what we desire. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because when you were just saying like soulmates and what does it mean? And, and, and I thought, well, yeah, soulmates. It doesn't actually mean anything to me, which <laughs> means I don't give it meaning. You know, like I've, I've never given that meaning. And so therefore it doesn't, impact me i haven't been searching for my soulmate maybe that's you know not serve me i don't know but i feel like something like that just like perfect relationship the one can create this huge expectation for people and because i feel like it's a very easy transition from one person to say you know soulmate to then jump to finding the one right because soulmate mm -hmm. kind of implies the one and i feel like that's a very scarcity way of looking at things i feel like there's many people out there that um, and great for us at, at different times that sometimes it might be a relationship that lasts for two years and it's phenomenal and then we learn some things and move on. Um, so, yeah, soulmates, I suppose, is just something I've never bought into and therefore I haven't given it meaning and hasn't meant anything to me. But but what that maybe speaks to is, as you said, like perfect, perfect relationship. And, and that is something that I think is, uh, yeah, I, rife, I suppose. You know, we live in a world that I think humans have always compared to others and I think it's something that we'll always do but it seems to be so much easier for us to do now with um, you know living vicariously on social media mm. um, that being in the perfect, perfect relationship is some kind of a desire um, and then looking at other people's relationships and, and labeling it as perfect is well, I mean, it's setting yourself up for failure very simply because perfect is nothing. It doesn't happen. And so, you know, all that's going to do is um, put huge pressure on yourself, um, put like outrageously unrealistic expectations on your partner or who the person you're searching for, and then what you guys need to create um, for yourselves. And, and that's where, you know, kind of that word conflict comes back in again. Like if you don't, if you think that you're not going to have conflict in your relationship or that conflict means, oh my God, we're doomed, mm. then you are doomed. A absolutely. But that's of your own creation. And, you know, one thing that I do not have is a perfect relationship. And I hope that I don't convey in my, you know, content and so on that I have a perfect relationship. Because mm. that would be me kidding myself and being very disrespectful to my, to my relationship and very irresponsible to the people that, pay attention to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. you're two individuals navigating life. There's these two wild variables trying to come together to, to form 
um, a connection and that will never be, you know, quote unquote perfect. Uh, I just think it's so important that we have conversation around the, the, what's realistic in relationship because I think so many of us desire partnership yet we don't understand what goes into that. We desire the idea of partnership as opposed to the reality of partnership, which is, which is a choice and, and it involves work. And I think, well, I love what you're doing because you're kind of debunking that, you know, myth, so to speak, um, and hopefully encouraging more people to do the work on themselves so that they can then show up in relationship and, and do that work in relationship as well. Um, which also brings me to a point about this notion of doing the self work, how I think, you know, there might be an idea that, um, we have to somehow be fully (laughs) worked out before we can enter into partnership. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily true or not. I'm wondering what your opinion is on, um, entering into partnership while while you're going through the process. I feel like we're all works in progress at the end of the day. Yeah, so well, great point because we are consistently and continually a work in progress, right? So if we if we waited uh to find love and enter into a relationship until we were, you know, solved, um, then that would never happen. Uh so but having said that, um because I I'll step back. I feel like um, you know, I just call it our shit, right? So we all have shit. <laughs> and um, regardless of where we're at in our lives, we've all got shit. Now, that shit didn't happen in isolation. Therefore, it's not going to mend and heal in isolation. Mm. Um, so we get to grow in relationship. But, um, you know, there's so much nuance in all of this stuff. And so I think we need to be careful in... Sometimes that means you get to be in a relationship and sometimes that means you definitely should not be in a relationship right now. Uh, and that kind of is down to the individual, you know, like I was speaking to a guy just recently and you know, he got out of a long relationship, a long marriage, and then essentially like almost immediately um, into a new one and things happened really fast and they dived in and it was all amazing. And, and now with hindsight, he sees that he glossed over a lot of red flags you know one of the red flags being getting straight out of a long-term marriage and diving straight head first into another um relationship mm-hmm. um and then in that you know ignoring all this other stuff so I, I would think you know we could look at that with hindsight and go that was not a relationship for you to be in right then because you had some healing and growing to do however you still now get to use that relationship and go, what can I learn from it for the next one? But maybe right now, don't heal in a relationship. Mm. Do some work yourself. And then there might be a point where you're clearer uh, and, and you can you know, look at a relationship with someone who, I don't want to confuse things, but you know, is more in a similar place to you. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's kind of finding that balance, right, of like, is am I just going to a relationship to try and mask or, or get someone to, to gloss over or distract from my shit? Or are we coming in as two individuals willing to, to work on our own shit together um, so we can create something new and also work on that together? We 
have a culture of online dating these days and it's very easy to um, share in intimacy, whether it be sexual or otherwise, yet intimacy, of course, means so much more in the context of relationship. And I'm fascinated as to the relationship between wanting it as much as we're afraid of it. Can you touch on that? You know, I I see this in in many ways, actually, not just intimacy, but feelings that we would call positive, let's call it, Um, things (laughs) like happiness and joy and pride um is that a a lot of people you know we could look at that objectively and go oh we want those things but a lot of people won't allow themselves to fully experience those things because there's a risk it could be taken away Mm. and so i think that's the same thing when we talk about something like intimacy and love right Uh, am i willing to lean in fully at the risk that this could end or be taken away and so i think that's where we get we get stuck in that place right like yes we want those things and you know harking back to the story that i was telling myself for a while there as i said earlier oh you know i'm fine i don't i don't, I don't really want a relationship da, da, da. Well, what i was really saying there was that i didn't want um love and then what i was actually really saying was i didn't want to risk being hurt mm. but when i was honest with myself yeah i wanted those things so I think that's what it comes down to is the risk that it, it could be, you know, taken away, that it could be ended, essentially that, that it could be hurt. And so we kind of play in that, in that space, which requires me to let go on some level and to step into the unknown, right? So let go of control, because obviously I can't control if joy or love or intimacy, intimacy sticks around um, and, and step into the unknown. And that requires courage. Mm. I mean, you can get existential on that too, right? Because nothing is permanent and things are always changing and it will always come to an end whether you like it or not. We're only in these bodies for so long. So um, why not just fucking enjoy it, I say? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, but, I mean, that's just such a great point, right? Because we don't, um, we don't connect to something like that, and so we want the good feelings to be forever, mm. which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we want the quote unquote bad feelings to never not be around at all, forgetting <laughs> that you know one gives context to the other. Yes. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. And so it's kind of enjoy it while it's there, um, but you know that requires immense vulnerability to let ourselves experience those things fully. Mm-hmm. Um, because it could be, you know, quote unquote, taken away. How do you encourage the men you work with to cultivate that courage? I feel like sometimes vulnerability, particularly for men, can be a challenging thing when they're showing up in life playing these particularly masculine roles that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's there's no one answer um, to it. And, and that's why, you know, for uh, the guys that I work with, there's kind of... Um, taking different approaches and, and different sized approaches from the smallest and potentially insignificant all the way through to the, to the bigger stuff. And so one of those things is perhaps just looking at that word vulnerability. You know, sometimes for me, that is a, a hurdle in itself. Mm. And so maybe we can choose a different word like openness 
like being open is often an easier word to, to kind of address and, and, and take on. And then, of course, equating it to something like courage. And for most men, as I said earlier, we kind of need to get it intellectually first. So I think it's very simple to redefine vulnerability as courage. Because obviously, if I'm afraid of being vulnerable, right, afraid of being seen as weak, I'm just giving a broad brushstroke here, then that's the opposite of courage. That's actually showing my weakness, my fear. So then if I am willing to show that, that's showing courage. And so it's like, ah, oh, so actually vulnerability equates to courage. So like intellectually, that starts to make a bit more sense. And then it becomes easier to do the thing. And then practicing and getting into the habit and cultivating behaviors that align with that. So, you know, it might be having the conversation um, in your relationship that you need to bloody have. And, but it might also just be the really simple thing, like there's that thing over there that I don't want to do. And so you know what? I'm going to do it. And it might be so simple and mundane. So let me give you an example, because this is something that, that was very powerful for me um, many years ago, Nikki, when I, when I first kind of started exploring my own shit and realizing, oh, I'm, I'm the thing that's in my way, was um, that resistance to doing things that challenged me that made me uncomfortable, right? And so I, I, I developed this, very simple little mantra which was if you don't want to do it you have to do it and um over time i learned to figure out the caveat which was if it serves me but initially it all served me because it was practice it was practice of breaking a pattern and so the most mundane of ways that that would play out would be sitting on the couch and i'm watching tv like i'm, I'm literally in my comfort zone let's call it and my drink bottle, I want a quick drink. My drink bottle is across the other side of the room. And so the easy thing is just to say, no, fuck it, it's my wallet. But then if I tell myself, if you don't want to do it, you have to do it, then I've got to do the slightly, like so small, uncomfortable thing and get up and get the fucking drink bottle. Yes. And so practicing the habit of doing the thing that is uncomfortable even in that moment, which builds the muscle, so to speak, mm -hmm. and I think makes it a lot more easy to do it and a lot easier to do it. In, in different and more challenging and perhaps more emotionally challenging ways uh, as well. So, you know, that's starting to form the mode, let's call it, of paying attention, first of all, catching the discomfort or uncomfortable challenge, and then choosing to step towards it. Yeah. I love that so much. I think that is, as you said, it's flexing a muscle and and it becomes easier over time cultivating that habit um very quickly on that how do we distinguish between uh discomfort and or fear and like a legitimate fear or a red flag yeah well um i feel like we could probably talk about that for ages and <laughs> i'll go into it a bit it'll go into a bit deeper in a moment but honestly my first answer to that is through experimentation Mm. Like you're never going to get that download of information from not doing something. So you have to be willing to get it wrong and then learn as you go. So I feel like, you know, life is a bunch of experiments and you're either running them or they're running you. And so, you know, for a lot of guys and a lot of people in general, but you have to be willing to, to not get it right mm. and then learn, right? If something's new, then you're a beginner. So, suck at it 
it, you can't be an expert without first starting and trialing and erroring and getting better and so on. So that's kind of where I get to on that. And then over time, of course, you've got to pay attention, right? You've got to turn back and reflect and learn the lessons or you're not getting anywhere. Um, so in that, I think we can start to, to, again, you know, build that muscle, right? Become smarter and more capable at that. And then we can start to ask more powerful questions, you know, okay, this fear thing right here, you know, maybe it depends on the context, but uh, is it, do, do I know this to be true? You know, what am I actually afraid of right now? Like turn and face the thing and get curious and challenge it mm. because otherwise, you know, fear, worst case scenario, these kind of things, it, it just like follows us around like a black cloud until we turn and face it and go, what are you? <laughs> let, let me bring you and get you on the table and then I know what I'm dealing with. And, and until we do that, it will just, you know, kind of hold power over us. And so I think when you shine light on something, you know, it brings it into the light, it becomes easier to deal with. <laughs> you can't figure life out by just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix. Like you need to be out there doing it and falling on your face and getting up and giving it another go in order to figure out the lessons and see the patterns and and cultivate your intuition and um yeah it's it's not something you can probably intellectualize necessarily but something that you need to be experiencing yeah and so i think you know what what we can add to that is is also cultivating the habit and um willingness perhaps for radical honesty you know, one of the biggest things that I see playing out for a lot of people is that we're not honest with ourselves, mm. right? We like to think we are in certain things, but that requires like being truly honest, you know? So if you're going to ask yourself, like, what am I actually afraid of here? Then you, you can't just go, oh, I'm afraid of um, failing. Okay. And what would failure mean? Like, get honest with yourself, right? And so if you're going to ask the questions, you've got to go, okay, I'm going to be honest with myself here. If something uncomfortable comes up, I'm not going to turn away from it because it doesn't feel nice, but you've got to be honest. So honesty is one of those things that is easy to throw around, but to be truly honest with yourself, um, it, it asks a lot of you. And yeah, I think a lot of people struggle to, to really be that honest with themselves. Uh, it's, it's very liberating. You know, gloss over. Yeah, it, like challenging and confronting is hell, but of course the other side of it is exactly that freedom and liberation, yeah. I noticed a post that you had on Instagram today and you were talking about the cave that you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Um, when you're when you're coaching, what, and I, I understand everyone's an individual and it will look differently, but are there patterns or common threads around what the cave is that people are afraid to enter and what the treasure is that they're actually seeking. Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, I, I say this to guys that I talk like, you know, I have a lot of conversations with guys and, you know, every guy is different, right, on the surface of his life, but there's so many commonalities at the foundation and what they're experiencing and what they want and all that kind of stuff is where a lot of the, the, the commonalities are. So um, the the... The treasure that we seek for a lot of dudes is, you know, kind of stuff that we've spoken about, right? Love and companionship and so on. But um, before that, I feel like some of the commonalities are actually like really understanding who you are, 
being grounded and at peace in yourself, okay with who you are. Actually locating your power. Like this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and I'm okay with that. Mm. Because that is the kind of thing that radiates out into our lives, how we show up in the world. That's the thing that creates confidence. That's the thing that allows me to step into action despite fear and doubt and whatever may come. Um, and that's the thing that will allow me to create, you know, a relationship and find love and all those other things, be in the, the service in the community and so on. So um, what the, so, so I feel like that's what is there for a lot of men. However, the disconnect is the treasure that they want is something different. They want approval and validation. They want, you know, to be successful, whatever the fuck that is, have more money. They want, you know, love and a relationship. Um, but there's a really important bridge that we first need to build. And, and that really is um, building that relationship with self. Mm. So I think what's the cave we fear to enter? Having our shit mirrored back to us and all the, you know, fears and inadequacies and our deepest beliefs about ourselves that we're not good enough, we're not lovable, we're not just happiness and success and all that kind of shit is the cave that we fear to enter is facing it. What can women do to support the men in their lives or men, any men and vice versa? What can men do to support the women in their lives? Probably the most powerful things come down to, you know, like there's these innate instinctual drivers in men, right? To provide and protect. And one of the things that women or anyone can do is like support him in understanding what that looks like for him and how you would like it to look and then appreciate him for it. Mm. Like we are simple creatures. <laughs> I'm going to break it down. Men want to provide and protect. That's it. And in response, we want to be appreciated for it and we want to be desired. Mm-hmm. And so the risk here is that women will hear that and go, I'm not in charge of his fragile ego or something like that. It's some bullshit story that is perpetuated. It's like, of course you're not. But if you want to live in a partnership, then act as teammates. Right. So, I mean, I, my drivers, and I said, you know, my wife is pregnant. I just want to provide and protect for her. And what fuels me to keep going is being appreciated for it. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly simple. Men thrive on appreciation. And that's not to say women don't, but things play out differently. Uh, so then I think on the flip, like what can men do? There's obviously a lot more to that, but let's just start here. What can uh, men do to support women? Um, feel her sit with her and her experience allow her to feel you and make her safe mm-hmm. find out what will allow her to feel safe and provide that um both of those are some really powerful things that you know any of our listeners can be implementing straight away to create more harmony in relationships My final question for you, Mike, today is, what does it mean to embody a wild heart? Uh, What comes to mind for me is being willing to follow your heart. 
and at the same time give access to it. Mm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I love that. Giving access. To, to others. I haven't heard And that. also, you know, like caveat, caveat, that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries around it, right? You get to do that, but um, <laughs> you can't just not give access. <laughs> exactly. We didn't touch on boundaries today, but um, of course they are very important, but I also feel like there's a lot of conversation in the circles about boundaries for people to learn about and discover. So, but unless you have anything you wanted to add about that. Uh, well, I mean, we spoke about conflict. So I, I suppose very quickly on boundaries is that you get to have them <laughs> and so do others. Um, but again, in terms of harmony, you know, communication with that comes from a place of, Consideration, kindness, respect, and compassion um, is is the starting point for communicating boundaries. Mm. Oh. Yeah. God, some powerful stuff in there, Mike. It's so simple, but it's very profound, and I think it's difficult for people sometimes to um, to go on those journeys with themselves to really unlock what is going on and how they're showing up and and what fucking stories are being played in their minds and what roles they're playing. I think role-playing is such a big thing too. Yeah, well, that, that's where we, you know, we tell the story of this is who I am and who I'm supposed to be and so then I play that role and become very good at it. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I see for people, all right, it's, this is just a human condition, but for a lot of the men that I, you know, speak to and work with who, as a simple, um, consistent, but obviously not for everyone, role as the hero, being everything to everyone. And there's lots of costs and consequences for that. But one of them for the individual is it's fucking exhausting <laughs> to keep playing a role. Um, yet in our heads, we have an idea that it will be harder to just be ourselves. And it's so much easier. <laughs> just yeah but no it's not well at least in my experience it wasn't without um a lot of a lot of tears and a lot of pain and a lot of (laughs) um but that's you know again that's the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek so you don't get the treasure if you don't enter the cave how tell us where we can reach you if anyone wants to connect with you. Have you got workshops going on right now? Tell us what you're doing and how people can connect. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you can find me mikecampbell.com.au. Otherwise just come find me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest place. Um, Mike Campbell MC and yeah, ask questions, interact. You know, I'm always happy to, to answer questions and provide support um, where I can. Of course, there's only so much support you can provide in an Instagram DM, so keep that in mind. Um, and yeah, what have I got going on at the moment? Um, so my coaching program is called the School of Personal Mastery. That's now where I do most of my work. I've got an intake of that coming up, so if anyone's interested in working with me, basically just come and ask me a question. Got some other things that uh, you know I have available on offer, but um, the most important thing is you know if you like the cut of my jib, if you resonate with what I talk about, then just come and say hi. 
Oh, that was so great. You're so full of knowledge. I'm really grateful um, to you for spending the time with me today and, and talking through your experiences and all of this knowledge that you have to share. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to chat. Thanks for listening. Do yourself a favor and jump on over to Instagram and give him a follow. You won't be sorry. His content is super humorous. <laughs> especially if you're into a drier kind of sense of humor. And he's just got some straight down the line, no nonsense wisdom to share around relationships, men, how men and women can better understand each other. It's just gold, all of it. So go check him out. You can also follow me at Hey Nikki J. Or if you want to keep on top of all of the guests that have been on the podcast, you can go check out at wildheartsclub.podcast, also on Instagram. I hope you're all taking good care out there. And I really hope that you're seeing this time that we've been gifted as just that, a gift. Time is one of those things we can never get back. So be sure you're being really intentional with how you're spending your time. Make sure you're nourishing yourself. Make sure you're getting back to basics and remembering what matters most. But most of all, take good, good, good care and I will see you next time.